0: Our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be your servants, to be your children saved by grace, snatched from the fire, and even given wonderful assignments to bring eternal glory to you. Even though we're unable and and have so many flaws you grant us righteousness and power to bring you glory in front of the angels. Help us really imagine and believe this true reality for all believers and help us to walk by faith in that manner. Most of all, Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven to become a man and once for all pay the judgment, pay the price for all of our sins so that we don't have to worry about any eternal judgment, but now we can live for you and rejoice in the freedom and glory of your grace. Father, please bless this message. Have your Spirit guide us and teach us. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Why Are the Apostles So Encouraging? Part 9 Well, last week the Spirit started us off by having us thank God for what we don't have. And anytime you think about those things, it's a good reminder to be careful what you wish for. Uh, There are certain things that you think are good that are not good for you. And the big picture is we have to realize there's a reason that almighty, loving God doesn't grant you these things. There's a pretty good reason by his wisdom that he doesn't grant you these things that you think you want or need. And so we thank God for what we don't have because our father, there's no one in more control and there's no one with absolute wisdom like him and no one loves us more. So we thank God for what we don't have. And then the Spirit had us consider this uh, past week and after that came up to thank God and consider what we do have. Um, the things in particular to be grateful for that came up was this ministry and our spiritual gifts. And, and we've got to remember that this all could be gone tomorrow. Like we, we tend to, as in our flesh, get complacent and familiar and think that this is all how it's supposed to be, even. But in this world, in the devil's world, this is not how it's supposed to be. We're, we're protected right now in America. Um, you know, we're graced out in America to have places like this to come and fellowship and be taught the Word and not be uh, physically attacked, even. So this all could be gone tomorrow, literally. So let's thank God for what we do have. This is like a unique pleasure, and and gift of grace. So on the board, thank God for what you do have. Always remember that this ministry impacts far more lives than just those you see inside this building. God has given all of you several spiritual gifts. Embrace them, encourage them, delight in them, and share them. Life is short. We have temporary opportunity to... Glorify God with the things He's given us. Like, let's enjoy it. Let's, it's, I don't want to say parties. Party's not the right word. But let's celebrate. Every day we should celebrate what He's given us. From the very righteousness for salvation to our spiritual gifts and, and the walk that He's put in front of us, it's an opportunity. So, also, who knows our ripple effect I think Pastor mentioned on Sunday the thousands of hits we get on the website every month. Who knows the ripple effect this ministry is having, um, your faithfulness is having, to supporting the ministry, to operating in your gift. Think of the ripple effect, eternally speaking. It's very exciting. So also, a reminder to us all that this is our ministry. It belongs to everyone who considers themselves a member. I mean, there is an official membership here, but... If you, you know, call pastor your pastor and, and you follow this ministry, well, it belongs to you too. You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of this local body. And uh, the Lord has provided this for all of us. Grace, out of grace. The Lord has given us this church, and we all help it function when we operate in humility. Remember the mash tent concept. Pastor wrote a blog on on the MASH tent that this church, you know, it's a good analogy. That we come back here and we get bandaged up because, let's face it, we all get beat up out there in the world, some days worse than others. We come back here, we get bandaged up. We get, we reload our ammo, okay? But then what do you do with it? Does any soldier sit inside the tent with a loaded gun, like, you know, useless in a way? He loads up, and once he's loaded... His job is to get out there. And I know we've heard this before, but this reminds us that God sends us, sends us out from here into our own hills, our own battlefields, our own assignments. On the board, He assigns us to our own fields. And this analogy of fields has come up quite a bit in terms of farming even. We are each uniquely equipped to work the fields the Lord has placed in our lives. I mean, he's sending you to a certain field because that's the field for you. And many of these fields, he's not sending out any other believers to. So think about that. It's a personal assignment. Uh, It could be where you live. It could be all these things, where you live, what company you work with, uh, what family you need to take care of, what neighbors you have et cetera, Etc. Et I mean, if we're out there 23 hours a day and here one hour a day, there's a lot of fields we touch that we come across, we interact with, right? And if, if we view, and back to perspective, if we view these fields as personally assigned by God, this is where he wants me, this is where he wants me, this is where he wants me. So that's a whole different thing that these fields you've been equipped for and you've been assigned to. So don't take it lightly. All of your work out in the fields that you've been assigned to also reflects on this church or ripples from this church, spiritually speaking. It's part of living in the calling for this body of believers. Right here in this local assembly, this body of believers is part of living in the calling for us as a body, as a unit in unity, and even though we go out there and do our own assignments and have our own fields, we come back here and regroup and help each other and, and uh, encourage one another, and my, we might even join up to go out into certain fields together, right? So there's a great unity even though we have our individual assignments. Never forget with the body, and everything we do reflects on this church somehow. You know how word of mouth goes and gossip goes, especially out in the world. You know how when people know you're a Christian and you might not think they're talking about you, but they are, and they talk about everything you do and everything you say and they're looking for you to mess up? Well, they also end up finding out what church you go to. They also end up finding out what you believe um, and ultimately it all reflects on Christ, right? But let's not forget those things. Everything's a ripple effect. And you have your personal assignment from God. So again on the board, thank God for what you do have. Always remember that this ministry impacts far more lives than just those you see in this building. God has given all of you several spiritual gifts. Embrace them, encourage them, delight in them, and share them. That's what they're for. So in this way, we're also encouraged by the apostles. Who chose to operate in their spiritual gifts? Imagine if the apostles chose not to operate in their spiritual gifts, or some of them chose not to operate in their spiritual gifts. How differently might that have affected the church or the body? We don't know for sure, but aren't we grateful the apostles did operate in their spiritual gifts the way they did and the examples that we have? And uh, 11 out of, you know, 10 out of 11, whatever. Um, most of them were moderate for their faith, and in heaven, the Lord's gonna reward them wonderfully, and all this this example that they gave us, because they operated in their spiritual gifts, we should be very encouraged by that. Because again, what were they? Regular normal people, fishermen. And we still tend to put them on a pedestal in our in our souls, don't we? A little bit. Listen, if you if you're saying I can't do what the apostles did, then you're basically putting them on a pedestal. Because all they have is faith. Right? They lived by faith. They walked by faith. Now, God may or may not allow you to do miracles. That's a different story. But the point is, they did wonderful things for God, spreading the gospel. So for you to say you can't do it, really it's arrogant, and putting these fishermen on a pedestal. Not that we shouldn't respect them. They are wonderful faith. But hopefully you get the point. So we've got to be careful. Be encouraged by these people because that very example shows that that regular people like you and I can do it too. On Sunday, one of the things we learned about the parables is that the sower is often left nondescript. The sower in the parables is often left nondescript. In other words, the parables don't describe what the sower needs to be like. We don't see a description. We don't see a, you know, a list, a description. It just says the sower went out to sow, for example. The description was in the soils, in the parable of the soils, not in the sower. So as we've been hearing about the apostles, it doesn't really matter who and what the sower the seed is. Isn't that great? It can be a regular... Fisherman, it can be a regular whoever you are. Anyone can sow as long as they have a humble heart before the Lord. Again, the example of the apostles. And once a person is trained to sow the good seed of the gospel, the crop depends upon the soil. It depends on the readiness of the soul receiving the seed. It doesn't depend on the sower depends on the readiness of the soul that's receiving the seed. In other words, it's out of the sower's hands. Literally and figuratively. If you're throwing seed, you know, where you think God wants you to throw seed, once it's out of your hands, it's out of your hands. What are you going to do? God might let you water it, but you can't cause any growth. So it's out of the sower's hands the results belong to God alone. So once again, anybody can sow as long as they're prepared with the gospel and humble. Anybody can do it. So you, regardless of your abilities or your handicaps, your pros or your cons, what you think you're good at and what you think you're horrible at, none of them matter. You can be a good sower for the Lord by faith, by grace. So therefore, glory be to God. One of the key lessons in studying out the Apostles is not necessarily that God will always use unexceptional men, but rather that He can and does use any kind of person, regardless of their natural abilities. Regardless of their natural abilities. Since God owns the balances and scales, as well as the weights that tip them, The only thing that has any positive effect on his scale is his own righteousness. So what do we do? We ask for more righteousness. We seek his kingdom and his righteousness and let him add all things to us in Matthew 6. right? Let him, by grace, add more to our scales uh, based on his righteousness alone. So that's why if we're wise, we would all seek his righteousness more and more and deny our own righteousness. Fruit bearing must be righteous to be good because there is unrighteous fruit bearing out there. Fruit bearing must be righteous to be good. And he's the only one, the only source of true righteousness that can give us that, that can... Give us good fruit, even. On Sunday, we synthesized a few things about the will of God for our lives. So go to First uh, Timothy two verse four. The Spirit wanted us to synthesize these things. So let's do it one more time. First Timothy two four. God desires. All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The will of God is pretty clear here, isn't it? And wonderfully simple. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we also know the will of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is, of course, right in sync with God the Father's will. On the board, following Jesus, If Jesus' ministry was defined by to seek and to save, Luke 19.10, then his disciples ought to carry on that mission. It's that simple. Any believer can evangelize someone. Is there any more of a righteous thing that we could ever do? So let's synthesize these things on the board. We saw God's will, Right? He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We saw Jesus' will to seek and to save the lost. And then how God raises His children up in righteousness to bring Himself glory. Just synthesize those things together because they all go together perfectly. Once again, God wants us to step back and see the big picture. He wants us to see that when He grants righteousness, To human beings, it's about bringing glory to himself. When he grants righteousness to human beings, which he does by grace, it's about bringing glory to himself. After all, when God gives a believer his perfect righteousness, who else could we possibly credit the glory to? Give the glory to? It's kind of ridiculous when you put it that way. When God saves a sinner and grants him righteousness as a gift, it reveals God's great compassion and wisdom and love. No one else's. No one else is even involved. So we were reminded on Sunday that the angels are also watching all of this, and they even celebrate the salvation of every human soul to the praise and glory of God alone. I mean, I I think we should try to picture ourselves being angels once in a while. In other words, living with God for a long time and seeing God. And then seeing us peons on the earth, these little peons on the earth that are weak, stupid, (laughs) can't see God. And then seeing God give them perfect righteousness and make them perfect. And you're an angel saying, wow, did you see what God just did to that one? I mean, that's what's what's going on. It's unbelievable to the angels, and that's why they rejoice. They literally shout out and sing because they're like, look at the glory of God. Look at the grace of God. For those, you know, whatever those things are on earth, he did it for them, and they can't help but shout out. So, you know, we're on the receiving end of it, so we don't see what's going on in the heavens. We don't see that right now. Uh, But that's what's going on. They can't help but shout. So on the board, the angels rejoice. They praise God in his name because of his amazing grace towards unrighteous sinners, even making them righteous, as only he could do. (laughs) So again, the angels are watching. God didn't just forgive us. He made us righteous. Whatever that even looks like to the angels, whatever, however that appears to the angels. You know, maybe they see the light in us visibly. Who knows? But whatever that is, the angels say, wow, he's got Christ's righteousness now. Hallelujah. They just explode every time somebody's saved. And who else could get the glory? Go to Luke 15, verse 8. Luke fifteen, eight. So because the angels see and acknowledge the miraculous work of God who saves people so rebellious and wretched and undeserving, then God gets all the glory. And that's seen in their singing and rejoicing in the heavens. Luke 15, 8. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house? and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That sinner was lost like the coin and is now found by grace even made righteous. And the angels rejoice. So on the board, the big picture. God imputes and imparts righteousness to man for the purpose of bringing glory to himself in the end. Ultimately, that's what what it's all about. We're the beneficiaries of it. Out of his love, he really does save us. He doesn't doesn't just say he's going to save us or almost put on a good show for his own glory. No, the glory is that he actually does this impossible thing. And uh, what are we here for? First of all, God does it for his own glory to show Satan, you know, his tremendous character and love. But we are also here on this earth to bring glory to God. And that's why we remain. Not only does God save us eternally snatching us sinners from the fire he also saves us every day so all the praise be to his glory. I mean can you imagine living life on your own without him? Imagine living life trying to save yourself. Imagine not knowing where you're going. We could go on and on and on. But God gives us the truth, he gives us righteousness; he gives us reassurance. All by grace, what the Bible calls the glory of his grace. On on the board in Ephesians one six. To so the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Again, we're here to bring God glory, and nothing brings God glory more than his grace. Nothing. There's nothing the angels marvel at more than God's grace. They marvel at his grace more than his power. And that's a lot of power. But that he would save a wretch like us and give us his son's righteousness? What's so glorious about God regarding salvation and granting us righteousness is his grace. Pure grace. It's not just might or power that saves us. It's His grace, and it reminds me of an Old Testament passages that, that puts these things against one another, all right, against each other. Go to First Kings nineteen verse eleven. First Kings nineteen eleven. So it's again, it's not just God's might and power that saves us; it's His grace. And that's why the Bible says to the praise of the glory of His grace on the board. First Kings 19:11. So he, and this is God uh, talking to Elijah, he said, "Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord." And behold, the Lord was passing by. Okay? What does he look like? Well, A great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. All these exhibits of God's power. And the Lord was not in those mighty, powerful things. What was he in? The gentle blowing of the Spirit. Grace. All we creatures can do is give praise to the glory of his grace. And that's the angels rejoicing. They're overwhelmed by what they see. As David said, the Lord's gentleness makes us great. The Lord's gentleness makes us great. We could dwell on that. You could dwell on that all night. You could sit in your little rocking chair with a cup of tea, no technology on, and for two hours sit there and dwell on on how God's gentleness makes you great. And he would show you more and more things. I I think it'd probably be endless. It's crazy. Anyway, all the glory can only go to God when we consider he's the source of everything good in our lives. And that includes the righteousness needed for eternal salvation. On the board, God saves and is glorified. God's righteousness is profoundly and indelibly impressed upon His creatures through salvation. Whether we're being saved, imputed righteousness is credited to our account, or we're evangelizing others, in other words, we're living in His righteousness, and He gives us more righteousness, either way, God's glorified by His own righteousness. The power of righteousness is exemplified through salvation. The power of righteousness is exemplified through salvation. And again, how do we receive this power of righteousness? By grace. We also heard on Sunday, the simple truths can be the most profound. I mean, if anything, that's a a description of God. That's a description of God's Word. Because only, only He can give us these simple truths that, can, um, you know, not stump you, but overwhelm you and almost confound you because they're so profound, yet they're so simple. So we need to be on guard not to dismiss the simple truths in our souls as though we already fully understand them because we don't, not even close. You'll miss out on the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God if you think whatever God's simple truths are, are not profound. You'll miss out. So here again we see the depths of God's wisdom in Romans 1, 16 through 17 on the board. And it's like a diamond. There's so much packed into this small, magnificent beauty like this scripture. Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Every time we read this, especially at different times in our lives, you know, depending on what you're going through or where you are spiritually, Every time we read this, we see something new per the Spirit's timing and wisdom in your life. What struck me on Sunday is the last part of the verse where it says, but the righteous man shall live by faith. The righteous man, the one given righteousness by God as a gift at salvation, that same man shall live by faith. Shall live in righteousness. So he's given righteousness as a gift, which is a power, God's power. And then he's able to go forward and live in that righteousness. The righteous man shall live by faith. So, and so in other words, who's doing it? Look at that part of the verse, right? But the righteous man shall live by faith. Who's doing it? The righteous man. Does that mean the, the good man on his own merits? Or does that mean the man that God made righteous? It means the God man made, uh, the God, you know what I mean? The man God made righteous, that's what it means. I mean, look again at the verse. In it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. From salvation to, you know, the spiritual life, if you will. The righteousness of God is revealed. And so the righteous man shall live by faith. The one who is made righteous has the power to go forward by faith now and bring God glory. So in other words, there's a certain fruit that comes in the life of a believer, as we've been learning. But why is that? It's because God made that person righteous to begin with and made them able, gave them his very own righteousness. And the verb in the Greek, when it says the righteous man shall live by faith, the verb is in the indicative mood, which means it's a dogmatic statement of fact. The righteous man shall live by faith. It doesn't say the righteous man might live by faith or should live by faith. It says he will live by faith. Dogmatic statement of fact. So why is that, again? Because the power is in the gospel. In the same passage, right? The power is in the gospel. And that power is granted to all who trust in Christ, and it's given in the form of righteousness, perfect righteousness. So why is it? Because we've been given the power. It's granted to us in the form of divine righteousness, And that's why why the righteous man will live by faith. The gospel isn't and cannot be impotent in the life of a person who accepts Christ. It, It can't. It's the very power of God. The gospel isn't and cannot be impotent in the life of a person who accepts Christ. It's quite the opposite. It is potent and perfect. The gospel is perfectly potent, and it results in something good because it's God's actual power living through you, namely through a life of faith. But there's just so much packed in a verse like this on the board, and that's what stu- stood out to me on Sunday. But the point is was we should rejoice in the depths of the wisdom and power of God, like Paul did. Rejoice that this verse never gets old, that this verse never can be um, used up. No verse can. And that's what's awesome, that it's so simple, yet so profound. So let's review Peter's teaching that we saw on Sunday. Go again to 1 Peter 1, verse 10. And this apostle, Peter, He grew in God's wisdom and righteousness for years because he wrote this years after his three years of training with the Lord himself, remember. 1 Peter 1, verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. There's imparted righteousness to us. Because it's written, verse 16, You shall be holy for I am holy. There's that word again, shall. You shall be holy, for I am holy. And that could refer to both imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness after salvation. If you address as your father, as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things, like silver or gold from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. If that passage doesn't humble you before God, I don't know what will. And the things of God are difficult to fully fathom. As Pastor said on Sunday, they can just make you speechless. The grace of God can't be fully grasped no matter how simple or straightforward a passage like this is. It's almost like the simpler it is, the the more difficult it is to grasp because it's almost too good and it's too simple and it's too pure for us to, 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 to grab. And that's what makes the Word of God so interesting. It truly is alive and powerful even though it never changes. So on the board, we saw the magnificent gospel. For something so simple as the gospel, there's just so much to say, too much actually, in a single lifetime. Maybe this is why God has chosen to allow the great theatron called life to drag on as long as it has. Who knows? Throughout human history, God is displaying His glory despite Satan's attempts at lies and deception. Maybe God lets it drag on and drag on and drag on for what seems like a long time. But imagine the amount of glory accumulating for God through the thousands and thousands of years and the billions and billions of people. Imagine the amount of glory accumulating for God. All is a sentence against Satan and the fallen angels. All to his righteousness. On the scales. How can a person get familiar with such goodness, with such supernatural righteousness and love? Pastor proposed this on Sunday, and it's something uh, to personally consider regarding the magnificence of the gospel on the board. Pastor said this on Sunday about the gospel. I suppose, in some ways, To the degree we aren't overwhelmed by it, to that degree we're arrogant. And I totally agree. To that degree we lose sight of His grace and mercy towards us. Even if it's for moments. Right? And as we grow, as we grow up in Christ, we lose sight of the gospel less and less in our uh, daily activities. We live in the gospel more and more, but never to a point of perfection. So that to the degree that we aren't overwhelmed by it, we're really being arrogant at that moment if you think about it. Even the Apostle Paul was overwhelmed by the magnificence of the gospel. Go again to Romans 11.33. Romans 11.33. And remember, this was a brilliant man saying this. The Apostle Paul... Even he realized his intelligence was nothing compared to God. As he said, you know, in his own letters, you know, I, I, if anyone has a right to boast, it's me. But, wow, I consider it all dung. Dung. I don't mind dropping it all, leaving it all behind. I don't need or want any of it because it's not worth it even be compared. So when you see someone like that, that let's, let's say has everything for lack of a better phrase, is willing to give it up and drop it like that. How's that for an encouraging an example of the apostles? Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Or who's first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's what it's all about. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's like I'm speechless, I'm done, I don't know what else to say. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And think about verse 36. The Spirit is telling us all things are from God, through God, and to God. All things for His glory. All things are from His glory and to His glory. And we're bystanders that have the chance to be involved, that have a chance to receive His perfect righteousness, and therefore His power, and then to bring glory to God with it. It's like, it's like us giving our power to flies or gnats saying, here, go do something with us. Like why, you know, why does he even think about us, right? Why does he even consider us? But he does. And as overwhelming as it is, that should also be as motivating as it can be. So, from beginning to middle to end, it's all about him and and for him. It's all from him and to him. It's crazy. And when you try to grab that, the only possible conclusion, therefore, is to praise him and give him all the glory. And that's all Paul is left with. He says at the end of verse 36 To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's like he's out of words. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. And God wants us to use these overwhelming truths as motivation to serve Him, just like Paul did. To be a faithful disciple that knows he has nothing that's his own. That was Paul. To know that you're here for one simple reason, to bring glory to God with your life. And of course, living in the Lord's will is the simple, pure way to bring God glory. What's the Lord's will? What do we synthesize on Sunday and today? Go to Matthew 9, 37. Here's the reminder we received on Sunday. You want to bring God glory? Well, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. He, he wants you to go work your own fields. Um, he's put you in certain fields. Guess what? God's so smart, he put you in fields that you could handle. For those of you that don't think you can do it, or whatever your thing is, putting the apostles on a pedestal even though you don't think you are, because they could do it, but you can't. Even though they were fishermen that maybe couldn't even read and write, we don't know. Matthew nine thirty-seven. Then Jesus says, said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. On the board, regarding Matthew nine thirty-seven and 38. This came out on Sunday also. Jesus trained his first disciples to take their sense of awe and use it to the glory of God and to pray for the fellow evangelists even. So how do you use this overwhelming thing that Paul ran into in Romans 11? How do you use that when you run out of words and you say, all the glory be to God? Well, use that sense of awe for the glory of God. And even if it's not you getting out there right now at this time in your life, praying for your fellow evangelists. He told the apostles even, Pray for your fellow workers in the field and your evangelists. Shouldn't the apostles be the one requesting the prayer? But Jesus said, no, I'm going to use you, but you know better than everybody else. There's a bunch of others. We need more, so pray for them. They'll pray for you. Like big picture stuff here, right? So we may not understand the depths of the gospel and exactly what God's doing in the world, But we can live by faith as those made righteous to do so. We were made righteous to live by faith and go forward in God's plan for our lives, focusing on being good sowers of His seed. Simple, pure will of God. We are to faithfully yet simply carry the torch of our Lord. We, as the apostles were, have been charged with continuing the Lord's will of seeking and saving the lost. Thus the Great Commission appointed to the disciples. How you do that is between you and God. But we've been appointed to carry on the Lord's will of seeking and saving the lost. How you participate in that, it could be an endless number of ways. Practically speaking, this means the believer, the one made righteous, is willing to reach out to others by faith. He's willing to get involved in the lives of others by the love of Christ. So, this means capitalizing on your own pulpits, where we started earlier in this lesson, capitalizing on your own fields that God's assigned you to by grace. I mean, uh, there's a lot of people I talk to that think they can't do it, so to speak, right? Or think they, they don't know how to talk to people or they're quiet, they're shy, blah, 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 blah. But you've been put in certain places in your life where there's people that are in your life that you are made to, designed to talk to. And it could be in different ways. Like It could be with very few words. It could be with actions. It could be with a certain ministry even that you you start, that the Spirit motivates you to start. Totally outside, separate from the church, in your own fields. In other words, how are you going to dig up your crops? How are you going to water your plants? Do it how you want. But, I mean, pray to the Spirit, ask Him how we want you to do it. But there's not one way to do it. So how does God want you to react and to nurture your fields? Your fields, they're your fields. It could be an endless number of ways. All it takes is being willing, folks, and praying about it. Do you think the apostles, do you think the fishermen thought they were able? Do you think they were confident that they could do this? Far from it. All they had going for them was humility and faith. They followed, they obeyed. So capitalize on your own fields that God's given you. It could be the people that you you know that are in your apartment building, it could be your next-door neighbors. It could be a paper boy. It, it is all those things. So instead of like shunning the paper boy, get away from me child, whatever you do when they come to your door. I'm just I don't having fun. Why, why don't you um, offer them a drink on the porch and talk to them for five minutes? Can't talk to a 12-year-old paperboy? Are you intimidated? Like, is, if that's your field, maybe that's perfect for you. I don't know, just an example, but stop the excuses that you're not able because if the fishermen were illiterate, then you go ahead of them. I mean, just stop that. Stop putting them in a pedestal. They live by faith, and you've been made righteous as a believer, and now you have God's righteousness, which means you have the power to live by faith and do things you don't think you can do. So on the board regarding sowing seed, a farmer cannot sow any seed that will bear any harvestable fruit unless he sows it in the field where the fertile soil is. Likewise, as evangelists, we must sow the gospel seed in God's field, in the lives of others. Spiritual nerds talk about sowing seed, but they never actually get their hands dirty. But the righteous man shall live by faith. People may say they believe God and say they love God, but few actually seem to do it unfortunately. And if we've learned anything in this ministry recently, it's don't just be a talker. If you're not ready, that's fine. That's different. But stay humble and obedient to God and His Spirit leading you, and He'll use you in His way and His timing. But don't be a talker, right? Don't be uh, falling into the trap of deceiving yourself, thinking you're living in God's plan following Jesus just because of what you say and ignoring people in your life, ignoring your fields. That person needs to examine their heart. So that being said, the Spirit gave us a balanced statement on Sunday. You cannot force true religion, as in James one twenty-seven. So please do not pretend. God doesn't want phonies sowing the seed of love, quote-unquote, For the receivers might realize the insincerity and question Christ and Christianity altogether. So don't force it. Don't pretend. But pray. And then if the Spirit tells you to do something, do it. Get out of the way. Just obey Him. Again, if you're not led to do certain things, that's fine. But listen to the Spirit in your life. As we've been encouraged, the righteous man will live by faith. Living in the gospel, the one that saved you. Live life as you're being saved daily. Live it in gratitude and love. It's really all God wants from us. Live life in gratitude and love every day. That's living by faith, even. And we saw on Sunday a perfect example of this is the story of the widow's might. So let's turn there again to Ma- Mark 12:41. Mark 12:41. Just live in gratitude and love daily. I mean, anybody can do that. You say I can't do the work of an evangelist, or I can't speak to people, or whatever you say you can't do. You can't live in gratitude and love. You can't enjoy and thank God for all He's done for you, and and enjoy his love and kind of share it with the guy next to you? Look at Mark 12, 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Does anything speak louder than that? Is it, does she, do we even need her to say a word? Do we even to know, need to know what she said? It's actually better that we don't. Look at what she did. We don't even need to know any other details about her. The lesson she gave us is loud and clear. She put in all she owned, all she had to live on. That's gratitude and love. And the people observing who knew how poor she was. We saw Ralph Waldo Emerson says, your actions speak so loudly I cannot hear what you're saying. And that can go both ways. Your actions speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you're saying. In honor of our Lord and His example as someone who lived the gospel, let's walk by faith and live in the righteousness He's given us, not just say it. That brings glory to God. Our deeds, that brings glory to God. Jesus was walking, or Jesus was the walking gospel. In every sense of the word, and in the perfect form, he was the walking gospel. Because his words and his actions were one perfect unity. No discrepancies, no inconsistencies. It's the simple, clear picture the Spirit's been presenting us that a true believer's life is consistent with what he says he believes. A true believer's life is consistent with what he says he believes. It's what God's been showing us for over a year. If someone really believes something, I was thinking about this the other day. If someone really believes something, he acts on it. If someone doesn't act on it, he probably doesn't really believe it. All right? I'm not going to give you the examples I was thinking of, but I was talking with um, Jeremy on Sunday, who we've been graced to have back in our congregation. And he was saying what he now sees in the word of God is that attitude and behavior are one. And I'm paraphrasing. But even in his own reading and, and, you know, learning what we've been learning lately, that's what he's gathered. Attitude and behavior are one. And it really lines up with what we started with, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Romans 17. Attitude towards Christ and our behavior in Christ are one for the believer. There's no inconsistencies. They're consistent because Jesus' sheep not only hear His voice, but follow Him in John 10.27. It's like many Greek uh, scholars. They define repentance as a change of Mind that results in a change of life it's like one thing if you really change your mind there's a change in your life because guess what there's no change in your life you didn't change your mind stop fooling yourself stop fooling playing with people that's what faith is and so the one who trusts in Christ is made righteous and even given the power of God to live in that faith and that's the fruit this is part of living in the gospel reality that we've been called to. Again, on the board, attitude towards Christ and our behavior in Christ are one for the believer. There is consistency because Jesus' sheep not only hear His voice, but follow Him. John ten twenty seven. So again, as we begin to close, this is part of living the gospel reality because the believer has been granted the power that comes with the gospel the very righteousness of God, and that cannot be impotent in his life. So on the board, spreading and living the gospel, if we're not verbalizing the gospel, then we are to live it for all to see its fruit. Remember Jesus said a light, right? You don't put a light under the table, you put it on the table so everyone can see. Anyone can do that, folks. You could be mute. And do that. And people will talk about your light. Say, why is he like that? Why is she like that? And they know, you know how gossip works again. It'll come back to Christ. Oh, they believe in Christ. Oh, they never say anything, but look at that. Hmm. So if we're not verbalizing the gospel, then we're to live it for all to see its fruit. Our perfect example of this is Jesus. Since every believer's life is different, every ministry is too. And think of what God has put together here in this church. Even in our own church, He's given us a body uniquely equipped, and yet He's given each of us unique gifts and fields. And in a way, God needs you. He doesn't really need anybody, but take it for this analogy. He needs you because only you can fulfill the wonderful calling he's given to you. I can't tag along and follow you when you're disobeying your calling and work your fields. I can't. I got my own fields that God's told me to do, told me to work. And vice versa, you can't come work mine if I'm disobedient or irresponsible or selfish or blah, 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 right? You can't come work my fields. So in a way, God needs you because you're the only one that can work the fields he's given you. You know, he'll use someone else if you don't do your job, but what an opportunity. So on the board, this came up on Sunday as well, diversity is good. You need to pray about how God wants you to spread the gospel. Heck, it might be giving out cookies to kids at a hospital. I don't know. It could be so many endless things that involve uh, even very little speaking. You need to pray about how God wants you to spread the gospel. While you might be encouraged by others fulfilling the plan for their lives, do not fret about being motivated differently. You don't have to do it the way you see other people doing it. That's the beauty of God creating you. We all need to continually pray on this. And we need to get our eyes off of our weaknesses and humbly and openly ask God to lead us into what He wants us to do in our fields. So we'll close this way. You are so very special. Whoever you are right now listening, I say to every single one of you, you are so very special. How do I know this? Because God created you uniquely. There's nobody like you on this earth compared to seven billion other souls. And because of that you should thank God and honor God and open your heart to follow where He's leading you. Again the point on the board, you need to pray about how God wants you to spread the gospel. While you might be encouraged by others fulfilling the plan for their lives, do not fret about being motivated differently. That's the beauty of God creating you. And remember as we close, your life is not about you. It's about Him. You're here for the glory of God. So the more we get away from thinking we need to build certain things for ourselves, build our life up, you know, construct it a certain way, the more we drop that idea that that's what we're here for, then the freer we'll be, and the more glory we'll bring to God. Your life is not about you, it's about Him. And so as you go in your fields, as you go to work, you know, you might work a long day, you go in your fields, you have to deal with your neighbors, you have to deal with certain people, Well, maybe look at it from a different perspective and say, whoa, I'm not actually here for me. I'm actually here for him. And then therefore you look at all your fields differently. And I think that's what the Spirit's telling us tonight. So go home and pray on that and uh, rejoice in your uniqueness and the uniqueness of your fields that he's assigned you to. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much your word is awesome your spirit is faithful and we thank you for merging the two to teach us tonight to give us what we needed to hear tonight your message for us tonight it's all about you and your message and your plan and we do everything we do to your glory Father we thank you for the righteousness you've given us we thank you for the power of the gospel that comes with that And we ask that you help us just walk by faith. Just like Abraham did, just like the apostles did. Just help us walk by faith, Father, trusting you and listening to you. Listening to the convictions you put upon our conscience. And help us rejoice in our uniqueness and in the fields you've assigned us to. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you while we have a chance. And we ask that you help us bring out these words to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.